Hello and welcome to My Liberty and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Paul Shin. Hello. And I have another episode today and I'm very excited uh, to have another guest. And uh, this guest is, uh, again, one of those uh, friends through social media, but uh, uh, someone that I respect and enjoy um, the conversations that I've had with him in the past. And uh, I'd like for him to introduce himself. Well, my name is Thomas Daniel Queter, never quitter, rarely quieter. I became a libertarian last June. I started the Shenango County ICO for the Libertarian Party here in New York. Um, I started formation late August, mid-August, somewhere in there. It took me about eight weeks to form it. And uh, within eight weeks after that, we went from about... Uh, at the beginning of the whole thing, maybe a dozen to 20 libertarians in the county, and we're up near 100 now. Wow. As wow. of uh, February. We won't get the new numbers until after the primary. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yep. and, and I'm also running for Senate. <laughs> running for state Senate. Yep. Awesome. And uh, what state Senate and what uh, what is your uh, what is your region? Um, District 52. It's Broome, half of Tioga, half of Shenango, and there's a little piece of Delaware. We're very gerrymandered in New York. So if uh, no one is familiar with geography or if you live outside of the United States, uh, if you're thinking of uh, District 52, you can always go on the Internet and look at uh, New York District 52 and it'll give you a small map. But if you're trying to put things into perspective, you're looking at south of Albany, south of Syracuse. It also incorporates Binghamton, correct? Yep, it's the whole county of Broome, which includes uh, Binghamton, Johnson City, things like that. Okay, so that gives you kind of perspective. So you're you're definitely talking about uh, upstate New York, uh, south south central upstate New York, uh, for those of you uh, keeping track at home. So yeah, here uh, we uh, like to call it uh, central New York because there's there's so many misnomers that go on when people talk about upstate and downstate and this and that. The the original that I can find, the oldest of upstate, would have been above I ninety. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> but now they consider anything above, what is it, like Monticello or something uh, upstate. It, it really depends on who you are and which direction you're looking. Right. Well, and of course, I'm I'm not a I'm not a New Yorker, so it, I'm yeah. sure I'm saying it wrong. So I say it and then uh, I learn from my mistakes and I fix it. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's not a mistake. It's a matter of perspective that, that leads to a lot of um, misunderstanding. See, if you, if you uh, go to Waterbury and you're from Shenango like I am, and you call yourself upstate, they look at you like you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been known to be a jerk many times. I'm married and have four children, so it happens. So the premise of this podcast uh, uh, is uh, is very simple, and that is, uh, uh, you know, my liberty and stuff is, is, is uh, the premise of it is I want to talk to people I want to talk to, and I want to talk about things I want to talk about. And I, the, the, the podcast starts off the same way every episode. I just ask one question, and I'm starting to get a a theme here that I ask a similar question, and that is kind of funny because we talked about it in pre-production. Um, what keeps you up at night? So, and not only that, what when you wake up first thing in the morning, what is the first things that you're really thinking about? Well, anymore, it's the pursuit of liberty. I'm usually up late working. I do a lot within the Libertarian Party. Not to brag. That's not really anything to brag about. It involves a lot of conflict. <laughs> yep. And um, when I wake up, I'm usually thinking about what's the first thing I got to do today for liberty. And what does what is for, for my for my audience? Because we do have a, an international audience and we're starting to get folks from uh, from Europe and po folks from Canada. They might not understand the American uh, uh, definition of liberty. Um, they should. Uh, but I think that it's, uh, it's lost on some people. So if you can kind of uh, uh, elaborate, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate that. Well, even here in the States, it depends on who you talk to. Um, but generally, liberty is the, the freedom to live your life as you see fit, as long as, you know, you're not impeding somebody else's liberty. So um, if I want to grow tomatoes in my backyard, my town shouldn't be able to tell me through zoning that I can't. If I want to... Uh, live a life that doesn't involve a uh, standardized paycheck and taxation, I should be able to. If I want to breed and develop a strain of purple monkeys in my house, I should be able to. That's liberty, where you get to be and do what you want. That, that's what it means to me. 
and and that is a that is a concept that I think that uh, uh, you and I are in the minority of understanding it, and I'm sure that you and I both have different levels of understanding. You're probably a lot uh, better at it, or or have different words that describe it than I do. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm over here shaking my head. You know, I know we don't do video. This is an audio podcast, but I am shaking my head, going, uh huh, uh huh, uh, that I agree, and it's uh, I kind of. Uh, uh, I kind of put it in perspective, uh, uh, you know, li- liberty doesn't always mean libertarian, but I take that, uh, you know, I am a member of the Libertarian National Party. I, I'm involved with the Libertarian Party here in Indiana. Um, but when I say liberty, I'm like, here's an example. And this not, might not be an example that everybody likes, but this is the example that I use. I say I want my um, gay daughter to get married in a marijuana field while holding an AR-15. Yeah, I mean – that, that's the thing. It comes down to your personal choices. You should be able to make them as long as you're not hurting someone else's liberty. Right. Not saying she's going to smoke the marijuana and not saying that uh, she's going to use the gun. But I think that she has the she should have the right to be in that place with that item and uh, conducting that uh, that thing, which is uh, a marriage. Um, that's, that's what I'm, I, I, that's where liberty is for me. It's, 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 it's personal liberty, but it's also, uh, the group liberty, uh, you know, the, the group of uh, what we can do as a, uh, as a, as a small community, starting with family, you know, personal, personal freedom and, and liberty, but then as a family unit and then as a neighborhood and then as a community and then from a community to a, to a city and then a county and then the state and then, uh, nationally. So I'm I'm in complete agreement with you on that. So so you know, can you give me some ideas of when you're talking about uh, how you handle these uh, uh, concepts of liberty and and what you do to try to improve upon those? Are you are you looking at things from just a visibility perspective? Um, how are you getting people to to change their minds to think about liberty more openly? Well, having a conversation is the first part. Um, to be a libertarian does mean to seek liberty, but it does not mean that we think that uh, Democrats or Republicans can't also seek liberty. It doesn't mean that we don't want them for them. It means that we should all be able to do and be as we like. And when you're talking to someone, you need to listen to them. You need to listen to their problems. And once they outline their problems or their um, their aspects of life where they don't feel free, then you end up having the conversation of how they could be free to have what they want and do what they want without impeding my freedom, and that's what liberty is. And it, it, it gets convoluted. It gets complicated. Um, however, the concept of liberty is, is very easy to get across to someone once you listen to their problems and apply it to their problems, we we had uh, we had a couple of guests on our our own podcast uh, Tuesday, last Tuesday, and one is a write-in for mayor of the village of Afton, and another is a write-in for trustee of the village of Afton. The write-in for mayor Melissa Matthews, she had tried to be a libertarian, but the voter registration forms in New York are still uh, slow to update. And she had to check the box that said other and write it in. And she actually got listed as other instead of as libertarian because she didn't have a new form, which has libertarian with its own box. Oh, and, no. Right. So uh, liberty is not free. <laughs> you do have to work for it. And so, you know, I guided her to the uh, online registration because that's nice and easy. You don't have to fight with anybody for the right form. Um, and, and she's updated her registration, which should show after the primary. But in doing so, I was also talking to the, the lady, Alexis Van, Bert, Van Buren, sorry. And um, she didn't know what political ideas she followed, right? She had no clue. She just knew she wasn't a Democrat and she wasn't a Republican. And I, I showed her the statement of principles from the national website. And she, you know, the light bulb came on. She said, oh, that's pretty much me. And <clears throat> so, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to get people who are very hard lined with their own party, particularly the big two parties, 
um, to understand that what we seek is not necessarily anarchy. We do have anarchists in the party, um, but what we seek is is basic freedom to be happy and freedom from the oppression of our government, which has grown way too big, way too powerful. Uh, well, actually, years ago, John Stossel did a bit on Fox News before I cut cable, and he had this huge stack of paper, and he was talking about the number of laws that apply to any individual at any time in any place, and that's very true. The fact is that any individual in this country cannot learn all of the laws that apply to them. They don't have the time. You, 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 could, you could go to law school for your entire life and not understand all of the laws that apply to you. And there was a statistic he talked about that uh, most people commit a felony every day without even knowing it. <laughs> now, when you live in a system like that, it's like, well, if they want you to be a criminal, you're a criminal. Because all they have to do is look into what you're doing and look into the laws that you obviously don't understand because of what you're doing. And boom, you're a criminal. Yeah. I think and it's... I, uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I, I think that speaks to the nature of, of liberty, right? Because if, if you can't possibly know whether or not you're committing a criminal act at any point at any time, how can you be free? You're not. There's no freedom in that. Yep. You're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a slave to the state at that point. Because the state is is dictating what is right and what is wrong, but if you don't read the rules, you're already in you're already in the the wrong. And if you don't have time in your life, in the say ninety years that you live, to actually read, learn, and understand three key points there, not just read them, but learn them and understand them, um, there's there's no way. And beyond that, law is subject to interpretation. So. You might interpret it one way and think you're in the clear, and they decide you're not, and then, again, you're a criminal. Um, and it's, it's just insane. It's insanity. It, it, it makes me think makes me think that, uh, you know, I, I, I have always considered myself a, a citizen and an and a, and a American citizen, uh, uh, proud to be American, and, and I still – and I am. And that hasn't changed, but it also makes me think even more about why are there all this? Why it's 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 rules and and, and these laws that are in place, and some of them are are still in place. I mean, there are some of the stupidest laws I've ever heard. I've got a book of uh, stupid Indiana laws, and you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you you can't have a monkey smoking a cigarette. On a public street in Indianapolis, Indiana, or something like that. I mean, there's there's some crazy laws. Well, just over like, the county border here in Otsego, there's a town called Gilbertsville. And there's a law in the books in that town that says that you can't graze your cow in the public park unless you have it on a leash. Well, I hope you have a leash for your cow. <laughs> Nobody grazes their cows in the park anymore, but that law is still in the books. And with the fact that I am a one-man show here on this podcast, I am doing a little uh, 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 production work here. Uh, so here we go. Strange laws. Uh, yeah, here we go. If anyone were to perform a puppet show, wire act, or tumbling in the state of Indiana and receive any form of payment for it, they would be fined up to $3 under the Act to Prevent Certain Immoral Practices. Mm-hmm. That's still in the books. That's from uh, 1816, by the way. So, uh, you know, now that we're talking about these extraneous laws, we just talked about two that are antiquated. Um, I've always been for the concept that in order to make a new law, we should uh, require that they strike one or two old laws that either no longer apply or that our practice of them have, have uh, determined are um, against liberty or otherwise ridiculous. I agree. I agree. It should be a, I think it should be a, like a five for one sale. You put up one new law, you should take out five old ones. Yeah, I would be I'd be on board for anything like that, because, uh, you know, again, <clears throat> we have another problem with this number of laws. Um, 
a lot of people are, may or may not be familiar with the fact that there's legal jargon. And, and jargon is the way words are used and what they mean in a certain setting. And if you don't understand legal jargon when you read the law, it, it can be very confusing. And, you know, most of our population does not have a law degree, surprisingly enough. <laughs> so, so how can we be expected to follow laws we can't understand? Exactly. Or, or you know, understand or know they exist. I mean, again, I'm just looking at, uh, you know, 14 of the stupidest laws I've ever read in the state of Indiana. And uh, if I didn't know they existed... Um, um, the, the, the one that gets me is, uh, um, mustaches are illegal if the wearer has a tendency to kiss other people. Yeah. I, I fall into that every day when I kiss my wife. So I am, I am, uh, uh, I am not a felon, but I am a criminal because I am not following that law. It doesn't mean that they're not, they're not, uh, uh, enforcing it. But that's still a law in the books. Right. And that also means that they could choose to enforce it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's another issue. Um, Our police, whether you're talking your local sheriffs or your state troopers, um, they enforce the law. Right. Uh, But they don't know the law. They can't. Again, they're a human being and they can't possibly know and interpret every law in the books at all times. And so are they. Are they enforcing a law? Are they, you know, doing it appropriately? Or are they just following orders? And that that's a big thing. I mean, look at Minneapolis yesterday, right? Um, were, they, were they following and interpreting law or were they, were they just following orders? And when you come into the following orders part of this, that means it's handed down by a hierarchy. Again, probably by someone who can't interpret all the laws. <clears throat> who is given an agenda by maybe a politician. And again, you have interpretation, you have the complexity, you have that all involved. And the farther up that chain you go, the more power there is. And so if a governor decides he wants to do this or that, and he's got to get the police force to enforce it, he just writes another law and then tells people how to enforce it. Well, for instance, in New York, uh, while they made it mandatory to use a mask in some places in New York, it was also illegal to wear a mask. Yeah, I was reading that, uh, uh, you know, uh, there are certain stores that say, you know, we have uh, a big box company here that you don't have in New York uh, that is a a competitor to Home Depot and Lowe's called Menards. It's uh, just in the Midwest. So I think uh, the furthest south they go is Kentucky the furthest east they go is Indiana, and they go as far west as maybe Nebraska, but they're headquartered in Wisconsin. So they were the first big box store that, re- that before Costco required a mask to be worn by everyone. But before they, the, before they enforced that rule in their store, they enforced a rule back at the 1st of April that no one under 16 years old could come in their store. Okay, so no, no one, no children. And then uh, starting May 10th, I think, or first or 10th, they uh, enforced and had security at the front of the door uh, that you must wear a mask when you come in the store. So think about a felon, someone that has been convicted of a felony, at least to my knowledge, if you have a felony, you cannot cover your face. So they would be in direct conflict with that charge of something they had to follow moving forward is they can't cover their face with well, a mask you know there is a difference there though that that really needs to be pointed out <clears throat> that that store that that chain owns its stores and the properties or, or at mm-hmm. least rents them um yeah. and they have the right to make any rules for their property that they see fit because it's their property if you've been into libertarianism long enough you know what get off my property means um <laughs> <laughs> and Get off my lawn. So, so these these businesses, uh, particularly the larger ones who have uh, more to lose by their own um, judgment, anyhow, are going to follow along with whatever is handed down from the government because 
they have more to lose. And when you have more to lose, the government wants to come after you more. And so, I mean, when it comes to a lawsuit, are you going to sue a mom and pop bakery as a government? Or are you going to sue a Menards or a Walmart? Because what do you have to gain, right? Right. Um, maybe it wouldn't be a lawsuit, but it, there would be fines or something involved. The the concept here, again, comes back to private property. A store is a private property. If they want to make that rule, they should be able to. Right. However, um, they should also realize that they're going to suppress their business when they make too many rules. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why there's a there was pushback for the Costco. There's been pushback for Menards, too, that, you know, certain people said, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to. Uh, come into your store because you're making this mandatory. I'm just going to go to Lowe's or Home Depot, and that's their the the you know the the consumer's right to make that choice and make that decision on where he spends his dollar. Absolutely, and you know one of the things that I've heard over and over again, whether it's a Wegmans or a Walmart or a Menards, is that the minute you cite the Constitution, mm-hmm. they either ask you to leave or give up because they can't cite their own Constitution. Right, right. Well, they don't they, they don't have one. They have rules, but they don't really have a constitution for their company. Right. But they, they don't follow the national constitution because they don't know it. and They don't understand it. Right. Most of the time they tell you to leave if you start yeah. citing the constitution. Yep. I try uh, to keep I, uh, I do have a friend who uh, got a, who got into Wegmans without a mask by citing the constitution, though. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, well, in New York now, most of the uh, tellers and workers are elderly anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and that's because their Social Security has been dwindled by government. <laughs> Pay all this money in, get a very little bit of it back. That's Social Security for you today. And so we have people who are retired and can't afford to live, and so they pick up a, a less impactful job, um, being a cashier. You know, I, I mean – that not knocking cashiers, but it's not factory work, right? And a lot of people are doing factory work or something that's a little harder labor, a little more intense until they're 65. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they retire, that they don't have enough to live on. So they pick up a job at Walmart or a grocery store. And the older people who work in these positions tend to know their constitution a little better than the rest of the population. I would agree. I would agree to that. Yeah. Um, so yesterday we had Kevin Wilson, who's running for Congress out of New York. I forget his district, but he's in the Rochester area. And he has a four year degree in history. And one of the questions I asked him was how much of the history that you learned in K through 12 did you realize was false, misleading or completely inaccurate when you took a college course in history and he, he scoffed and he laughed and he said, you know, pretty much most of it. So we have, I don't know how many generations since the uh, board of education was formed federally, uh, that, that the, our knowledge of history has been depleted in our generations. We, we don't know the way it really was. I was fortunate because I had a, uh, well, I, I, I've been saying it, and I'll say it again. My fifth grade teacher was very 1776. Um, he understood the concepts of freedom and rebellion and why we why we uh, seceded from Breton and the whole nine yards, and, and he would really instill that into you. But uh, a lot of my other history teachers, with one other exception, uh, throughout my scholastic career, they, they didn't understand it enough to state it themselves. Mm-hmm. I found that uh, history, American history, pre-Civil War was pretty good. Civil War to Spanish-American War time frame was okay. And then uh, starting from World War One forward, I feel as though I was told a complete lie or half-truths. Correct. Um, and, and you know that... That all, again, it does depend on your teacher, but we have a problem with our education system. Um, It's controlled. It's controlled by the government. You're not free to learn facts. You're only free to learn what they teach you. And there is all kinds of legitimate proof that even our textbooks are controlled by the government. I believe most of them are made in Texas, and that has to do with money changing hands. 
Well, it's it's not just about they're made in Texas. Texas has the largest school system in the United States, or one of the largest, that in California. And there, when they make a decision in Texas to pick certain books, that is the books that those companies, Scholastic or whoever the company is, McNaughton, uh, McGraw-Hill, those companies then push on all the other states. So the New Yorks, the Indianas, the Ohios, the Nebraskas, they're only given those choices. So that means the the focus is on the reality that's shared in those books. And if those books are missing something, the student is the one that loses out. Yeah, and in New York, um, particularly when I was going to school, teachers were beholden to the Board of Regents curriculum, which means um, if those teachers didn't teach what was going to be on those state tests, those teachers could get fired. Right, right. So I, I would say the best history teacher I ever had his name was Ricardo Ridley, and I'm bringing this up for because I have some friends from high school that are listening to my podcast, and he went by Ricardo X in class. That was his name, Ricardo X, and we learned about American history. We weren't learned about uh, uh, American history, and everything up to uh, the end of World War II was pretty cookie cutter but after world war ii he really got into the uh, uh he really got into jfk he got into you know eisenhower jfk and we focused our efforts on the 1960s 1970s and 1980s because this this class took place in um 1989 so the uh the 80s were we were still in that portion of history that was really current current history but uh um but doing uh, 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 the class uh, during the Vietnam era, as well as talking about Malcolm X and uh, the, Pro- uh, the Prophet Elijah Muhammad, uh, Elijah Muhammad, uh, were, were things that other history teachers in the same school would not even touch with a 10-foot pole. But yeah. he actually talked about those things, and I learned a lot, and it made me think, as a white kid, grew up in a, uh, you know, in a um, – I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, so uh, the the schools were about 50-50, black to white. Um, And uh, uh, but it it made me really see things from a different perspective, from a different side and not have this uh, uh, not have blinders on to white history and really uh, learn a lot more. And he was not treated well. Um, and, uh, there were people that, uh, pushed back on his teaching style and I'm not talking about the students, by the way. Um, and, uh, I don't know all the details, but, um, uh, I just know that he ended up leaving the school, um, and going teaching somewhere else. But, uh, um, I, I learned a lot and I still, you know, there's many teachers that I had that I can't remember their first or last name, but, uh, Ricardo Ridley is a name that will go down in history for me, Paul Shin, as someone that had a, uh, a great influence on me because he made me think. Yeah, the, the best teachers I had made me think as well. And, you know, while we're on this subject um, of history and civil rights, the one thing that I know specifically was not taught when I went through school was something about Martin Luther King. And that was that he was on his way to holding the People's March, which was not race-based, when he was assassinated. That was a march for poor people. That was a march for any and all creed. That was a march against the government. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and then he was assassinated. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's there's a great podcast and I, I will promote anything I want to on this podcast because this is a value for value podcast. And what that means is I don't have any ads. I don't take any money from any outside vendors. I only get supported by my listeners. Um, so I can say whatever the hell I want. And so can my guests. Um, and there's another podcast called Mo Facts, M-O-E-F-A-T-Z. Mo Facts did an episode on Martin Luther King Jr., and I would suggest anyone in my audience to go out and find that episode um, and listen to it because it gives you a lot of information on Martin Luther King Jr. that most people didn't know, like the fact that he changed his name. 
Didn't know if you knew that or not. I was not aware. Um, yeah, the, and I will tell you, it's Mofax episode number 22. It's called The Dream Machine. Came out January 21st of this year. So that was uh, about two hours about Martin Luther King Jr. And it is really good. Actually, every episode is really good. But that one specifically uh, uh, opened my eyes. And, you know, in, in school, even the civil rights movement history that we learned really did resonate with me. Because while we were learning about that, um, as most people know, I, I do have a disability. Um, and I use a wheelchair. I was asked to use the back door in school. I, I was, uh, I was told what? my boss. Yep, I was told my bus would uh, drop me off at the back door, and that's how I had to go in. Um, I went through 13 years of public school in New York, of all places, where the the disability rights movement began. Um, I went to thir- 13 years of public school without a bathroom I could use. You, you, there was no, there was no. Uh... I mean, I know ADA compliancy is new, but there was no handicapped access. Sorry for using the term handicapped access in any bathroom available to you. Oh, well, they all had blue signs, <laughs> but I couldn't well, so, use them. No, why? Um, well, because the ADA requirements for a standard accessible bathroom is, is not what I need to use the bathroom. And, and there's an interesting thing about the, the, the ADA. Uh, because I was attending that school, it should have had a bathroom that I could use in order to be compliant, right? It's based a little mm-hmm. bit more on the individual. If, right. if you're there with a purpose, then the bathroom needs to accommodate you. Um, however, that usually does not get followed. Um, at one point, the accessible bus, the bus with a wheelchair lift, broke down beyond repair. And rather than wanting to buy a new one, um they tried to tell us that they didn't have to and that my parents had to provide transportation now i grew up very poor right so just having a vehicle with a lift was a struggle let alone maintaining it we did but it it was tough and the more use you put on that the the more you have to buy a new one or well we never owned a new vehicle i don't think my family has ever owned a new vehicle um so the the point here is our superintendent of the school at the time tried to tell my mother that the ADA did not state that they had to provide transportation. And he actually handed my mother a copy of the ADA that uh, I imagine was edited because it didn't state that. But my mother, being who she was, had her own copy. And uh, they did end up buying a bus. And, you know, this this is interesting that we're on civil rights here because this, this comes around again. Uh, the bus they purchased was one that was technically um, illegal for them to use. Um, the wheelchair lift was in the back, and it was a full-length bus. Um, now, a lot of people don't realize why there was once a Jim Crow law requiring black people or people of color to ride in the back of the bus. And what's the, what's the difference between the front and the back of the bus? Most Even back then, most uh, municipal buses had... Two entrances, you know, rear and front. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question if I can. Do you know why they required black people to give up their seat in the front of the bus and sit in the back for a white person? I do not know exactly it, the, 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 the law that they used to say the reason why. Okay. Well, um, the, the real premise behind that is that the back of the bus is the worst ride. It's rougher. It's, um, it's uh, a lot more bouncy and trouncy and of course in, in Jim Crow era uh, that mattered a lot more because our suspension systems weren't as good as they are today um, <clears throat> so what happened was my first ride on that bus they the bus hit a bump that uh, jounced me so hard it broke my femurs oh yep um, yeah so they got that bus because it was cheaper because it was made improperly right somebody Mm -hmm. was trying to cut a loss and the superintendent at the time and and here we get into more of the the systems being corruptible um his job was to run and maintain the school on a budget however he got an annual raise 
to my understanding, of between eight and $12,000 per year. And he got that by cutting corners. That's why our computer lab had terrible computers. That's why he did what he did with the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why if your grade wasn't an 85 or higher, they did everything they could to get you labeled as uh, having a learning disability because then the government gives you more money and they get to play with that money a lot. Um, they they did once, uh, no, twice at least, pop uh, IQ tests for me. <laughs> uh, coming up through grade school, I, I maxed out all of the standardized tests that, from the state for intelligence. <clears throat> but in middle school and early high school, they gave me two different IQ tests to try and show well, I imagined to try and show that I was not smart enough to be mainstreamed in regular classes. And when they do that, <clears throat> they get a grant or, or a bigger number from the state for funding. Um, the interesting part here is IQ tests for children are supposed to be given in the middle of the day right before lunch. That's protocol. Um, if it's after lunch, you might be lethargic. If it's at the end of the day, you might be lethargic, and it's not an accurate, it's not an accurate example of, of your intelligence or your ability to learn, <clears throat> which is another misnomer. The IQ does not tell you how smart you are. It just tells you your ability to learn. Um, but the two times that they gave it to me, I was going to school with all of my limbs broken. I had many, many fractures, and I was taking painkillers. And I was carrying my books with broken arms. And they gave it to me at close to 4 p.m. both times. I remember the lady who, who actually gave me the IQ test. You know, she administered it. You could tell. She didn't want to do it. You could, you could tell that she hated that she was doing it. Um, however, once we got into the test, you know, she started lighting up because she realized I was going to sail through. Um, but that's interesting, right? Why would you do that? It, I have no, I have no idea. Right. That 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 makes absolutely no sense unless there was something to gain by gauging my IQ. And and here's the thing: um, average IQ runs between 80 and 120. Um, I always scored higher than 120. Um, but once you get below 80 or even near it, you can be easily labeled with a learning disability mm-hmm. which means more money for the school and now we have a hierarchy system in our education system that's based on money and it's corruptible it's flawed so you know your your question is uh what do i wake up thinking about you know uh, liberty and i think back to school in this conversation right now and I knew kids who were forced into seclusion rooms. I don't know if you know what a seclusion room is, but um, if you have a behavioral issue, not necessarily a disability or a disorder, a seclusion room is basically a room with nothing in it that they shut you in and left you there. What's that going to do for your behavior? Pretty much nothing. Might make it worse. Um, that, that, was, that was solitary confinement for children with problems in school. So and, and that's sad. It, that's it, it, sad. It's, it's like what what we 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 throw baby in the corner, and uh, excuse my analogy, but this is we throw baby in the in in the in the corner because we don't know what to do with baby, or because so we, we they, simply don't want to address the issue. Right. It, it's that that four hundred pound gorilla in the room. Hey, there's another one. A four hundred pound gorilla in the room. It, it's so big, we have to take care of it. So how do they fix it? In in your example, we make him go in through the back door. We don't give him bathroom access, and then we make him we we buy a cheap bus that's not compliant, that and just not safe. and not safe to the point of it broke both your femurs. Both your femurs? Yep. Well, that's the nature of my condition is uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. In my case, the primary. Uh, symptom is that my bones are brittle. I had over a thousand fractures by the time I was 16. This was not something that my school was unaware of. And they didn't think to treat 
that condition differently or appropriate or (laughs) yeah not even ask you know what do you need you know or ask your parents being they were the the adults what 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 does your son need right so you you don't get those questions um what you do get though is a legal avenue to to hire an expensive lawyer and spend your time fighting it which really doesn't uh, help you much does it nope not at all it's just it's it's you know we talk about liberty and uh, I, I I find the more I hear about how people uh, uh, fight for liberty want liberty enjoy the liberty they have I'm still disgusted every day by the ways that they're treated like shit yep and, or they're not or they're not given the respect that they deserve I don't feel and I you know, I've, I've Tom, Tom, I've never met you one on one. We've never sat down and had a cup of coffee together. I, I intend to change that, but I don't see how I could treat you any differently than than I do right now. Just because I've met you, you're not going right. to make me you're not going to make me uncomfortable. So so when I hear that's that someone or in, in this case, a whole system has treated you differently. It just is, is. It's very. It's very disgusting to me. Um, I have. I have uh, family members that are that have mental disabilities. Um, I have friends that are that have uh, physical disabilities, and I don't treat them any differently. Uh, and the people who know me don't, and that's another issue with a system like that. They don't actually know the individuals, and yet they claim to hold this hierarchy of power over what this child needs what that child needs and and they don't they're they're uh well you're a fan of larry sharp right yes i'm not so a fanboy, but i'm a i'm a fan of him yeah he's a good guy yeah, and one, one of the examples he uses for systems like this is box checking what they do is they have this nice form that they created where they can check off the boxes that says they did their job that that's almost like a company auditing itself for taxes <laughs> um, there's always going to be something funny going on in the back end right so so no matter what they do they get to say we did it right and the end results may actually give a different picture if you look at them may i think Quite they will they do. They, they do. They do. but let's be fair um <laughs> you so know, i i always like to bring this up um my wife has worked in the non-for-profit world for quite a number of years. And one of the jobs that she held, she was, uh, she worked for an agency that helped families find child care for children. And she was uh, involved. And of course, I'm going to mess this up. And when she listens to this episode, she's going to say, well, here's some things you're going to have to to change or say differently because that was wrong. But I know that she was involved with ADA compliancy. So if there in the way in the state of Indiana, if there was a child, for example, if there was a child that had asthma and they needed a child care, the uh, child care workers had to be properly trained on how to give asthma treatment. If a child had diabetes, same thing. If they had if they were type one diabetes, they were four years old. The child care the workers had to be trained on how to give insulin shots. If if there was a need for a wheelchair access and a child needs uh, uh, child care, you cannot deny that child child care. That's that's illegal. So uh, the the, so the 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 the, uh, the child care the 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 child care company, whatever that that you know, whether it was uh, an in home child care like a grandma was watching the kids, or if it was a bigger corporation type, and there's many of those in the country, they had to be compliant to allow a child that was in a wheelchair. Or had crutches, or you know whatever it was, a hovercraft, you know that you had to have access for that particular instrument that that child used, in, up to and including, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, access. Which there, there's another aspect of this. Let's get back to liberty, right? Um, so you have a childcare business, and you're now beholden to all of these extra expenditures. Where are you going to get that money? So. When we right. talk about these systems of requirement, we need to think about the other systems of requirement. I'm going to ask you another question, Paul. You and your oh, wife, do you both, you both work, right? Uh, yes, we do. 
And how many hours a week do you work? I'm in sales. I'm always working. <laughs> no, I would say I would say on average I work uh, 50 to 60 hours a week. Okay. And then um, how many hours a week do your, does your wife work? 28. And if one of your children had a disability with an issue like mine or, or any specific issue that would put a requirement on a child care service or on a school, um, <clears throat> who would be best at addressing those issues, the system or you guys? Oh, us, definitely. Right. And yet we live in a society, we live in a, a government mandated economy in which both parents have to work. Both parents have to work to survive and attain a comfortable life. And when you have that, then, then you have to have child care. You have to have public school. Um, again, this is another level of force that people overlook. If you had the freedom to own your property without paying land taxes, say, which is really just a form of saying you'll never own it. You always have to rent. If you had the uh, ability to keep all of your money that you earn, all of your value, instead of handing a third or more of it up to the government, um, you'd have more resources for yourself. So when we come into these individual situations, whether it's a learning disability, a physical disability, or some other difference pertaining to a child, um, it becomes convoluted and extraneous to require all of these things from everyone. It's almost as if, if we had the freedom to be ourselves and to do what we need to do in life and to do what we want to do in life and to keep the value of what's produced in our lives, we could address our own issues and we wouldn't need an expensive government hierarchy to make sure everything is quote unquote fair, which it never is. So how do we get there? Well, <laughs> I'm only running for state senate. <laughs> right. Um, what we would have to do is repeal all of the unconstitutional laws, which includes taxation, the Federal Reserve, um, and, and a whole bunch of others. But th the point here is we've only seen taxation go up. We haven't seen it go down, not in the whole. Um, and what is a tax? It's theft. When, when you get into taxes that don't provide adequately um, what they say they will, and you get into taxes that are artificially inflated, then what, what you see is theft. I mean, there, there's no way around that. In New York, um, people who support taxation say, well, how would we have the roads? Well, look at the roads now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There are some beautiful roads in New York. Don't get me wrong, folks. New York has some beautiful roads, but they also have the the those are the less traveled roads. When you have the the higher uh, uh, traveled roads, uh, there's constant uh, uh, repair that needs to be done, and then that repair doesn't always get scheduled at the right time. And what I mean by that is that it doesn't get repaired. Oh, we'll we'll put it in the 2020 budget. Well, it, we can't actually do it until 2021. So what about all the drivers that are on those roads for the rest of the year, the next six months? How does that impact their car and that to their pocketbook because they have to do the repairs on their suspension or new tires or uh, a bent wheel? And it gets more complicated than that, too. We have something called prevailing wage. So um, you might be required to pay 30, 50 and up an hour to a worker who's working to repair that road. Um, and, and you get selectivity in the companies who, who are allowed to do that work. Um, you have to be qualified to, for this and qualified for that. And, and again, you're raising the expense. And, you know, nobody wants a plumber to go build a road. Nobody wants a paver to do your plumbing, right? But... I think we've gone too far. Why are we paying people $75 an hour to be on a job site when most of those hours they're actually just sitting there waiting for someone else to finish their part of the job before they can do what they have to do and so on. Um, so there and again, the cost of maintaining the roads gets inflated and then you have budget issues and then you have kicking the can down the road on repairs. Yep. You're not wrong. You are not wrong. Well, hey, uh, Tom, 
we've we've uh, gone over, and uh, I promised you that we would keep it to uh, a manageable size for this uh, podcast. You, we've yeah. talked about some great things, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to to ask you to come back again in the future so we can continue talking, uh, maybe more specifically uh, uh, about you. Um, and some of the things that you're working on by yourself, uh, you had just, uh, had a live event on Facebook, uh, two weekends ago, last, uh, two weekends ago. Yep. And, uh, uh, I'd like to talk more about that. Uh, maybe even including what you were wearing in the photograph. Um, <laughs> but we don't have to talk about that right now. Let's leave that, to leave that to wet people's appetite for another episode with, uh, with Tom here. Um, but thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I'd like to also uh, remind folks that uh, this is a value for value podcast. And what that means is if you feel as though I've, I and my guest have provided value to you, you think it's something worth listening to, uh, pitch in. Uh, you can get me through Patreon, www.patreon.com slash liberty and stuff. Or go to anchor.fm and look for my liberty and stuff. There's also a link there for uh, donations. Um, again, if you want to chip in a buck, that's great. If you don't want to chip in a buck, all I ask is that you tell one other person about the podcast so we get more coverage. We get more people listening to uh, talking about liberty, talking about stuff. I mean, uh, that we talked about a lot of things in this episode, all all very good things. And I think things that we that should challenge each of us uh, to look differently inside ourselves, but also out into our communities, into our nation. Uh, also, I'd like to uh, plug anything shamelessly that Tom has to plug right now. Uh, if you'd like to give a website or, or a link to something, that'd be great. Well, I have a website being built that's uh, Tom for 52. That's T-O-M-F-O-R, the number is 5and2.com, Tom for 52.com. Uh, that, that hopefully will roll out within a week or two. And if you're in District 52, you only have two choices. You have the incumbent and you have me. Um, if you think the last six or so years have gone the way you want them, vote for the incumbent. If you want something to change, vote for me. Couldn't have said it better myself. Tom, thank you very much for coming on the show, and I look forward to having you on another episode. Thank you, Paul. I'll, uh, I'll come back anytime we can schedule it. All right. Awesome. So, folks, thank you very much. This has been... My Liberty and Stuff podcast. And I have been your host, Paul Shin. And thank you very much. Have a great day.